Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 uh, this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, as always, there should be one under seat around you somewhere. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like to own one, we can put one in your hands. Before you leave today, you just stop at the info center and we'll uh, gladly give that to you. Um, to kind of get us headed in the direction we're going this morning, the last few months, actually take that back, actually really for like several years, uh, our family has been on sort of a, a medical journey. Um, just, I got a lot of kids, that's what happens when you got a lot of kids, they get sick and they have issues and you got to figure out what those issues are. Uh, but I've learned a lot over the last few years going on our medical journey. Uh, I've learned, for example, uh, one of the things I've learned is that there is a reason that doctors call what they do practice, okay? Um, and there, if you didn't know that, that's what they call it, there's a reason. Um, but I've learned, like, just with all the different kids about different treatments and medical techniques and um, different sorts of medicines and therapy. I mean, I just, I've learned all this stuff, okay? Um, one of the things I've learned more recently um, is, what's kind of put on our radar more recently is autoimmune diseases, okay? Now, that's, I've heard the word before, you know, I just didn't really dig into it, didn't really know what it was. Um, turns out they're really common, like one out of every 12, 15, 20 people, something like that, has some form of autoimmune disease. There are diseases and illnesses that like, are fairly common that I didn't even know they were considered an autoimmune disease. Um, but because that was put on our radar, um, my personality type is I want to like, understand something. Like, like I'm just, I want to read it, I want to understand it, I want to grasp it, try to get my, wrap my head around it. And so uh, in doing a little bit of reading, I, I think I grew to an understanding of what an autoimmune disease is. Um, so, so normally your body will, like you have an immune system, and what happens is that immune system um, fights off different bacterias and viruses and even parasites and different things that would make us sick. Okay, that's how your immune system functions when it's healthy. But one of the things apparently with an immune system, or with the autoimmune disease, sorry, is your body actually like malfunctions and short circuits, and then your immune system starts to attack your own body. It's like your, like your immune system's supposed to protect you from, from outside threats, uh, illnesses, diseases. What happens is it turns inward, and your body literally starts to attack itself from, from the inside, okay? And the reason I bring that up is because that's not just like that happens in more places than just the medical world. Uh, and I think as we'll see from our text this morning, it's a, there's a real danger for, uh, for us, right, is that sometimes the things that threaten the community of God the most are not just threats from the outside, right, not just opposition from the outside, not just what's going on like outside of these walls, but one of the biggest threats to the, the people of God, the community of God, the church, is what happens inside these walls, okay? And so to show you that, um, if you were here for Nehemiah uh, last week, uh, what, what we heard about from Nehemiah chapter four was um, these, these couple of guys, you remember them, Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, and then eventually there were some more surrounding armies. They show up and they begin to uh, oppose Nehemiah and the rebuilding effort there uh, in Jerusalem, okay? So that was like an external threat to the people of God, to the community, the, the, the remnant of exiles that had returned to Jerusalem and were rebuilding the wall, uh, were faced with this outside opposition. But what happens this week, as we're going to see, uh, is that it's 
all the opposition is not just from the outside. So we see it right out of the gate here. If you look at, we're just going to read through, kind of like we did last week, just kind of work through chapter 5 kind of together. Uh, I'm not going to read it all at once, but uh, I want to start in verse 1 because here's what I want you to see. It says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against who? Their Jewish brothers. Right? So evidently there's, like right out of the gate, we've got people in the community, Jewish men, Jewish women, that are complaining against their fellow Jewish men and Jewish women. Okay, specifically Jewish men in this case, right? So we've got some conflict inside, inside the camp here, right? And so here's the reason why, right? We, we'll read on in verse 2. Kind of the, the reason for the complaint and the outcry is this. It says, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. All right, so let me, let me give you some context of what's happening here in this scenario, this situation. is. So you've got all these people um, to, to like rewind, almost said fast forward, wrong direction, to rewind back to the beginning of uh, Nehemiah. You, you've got this group of people that have returned to Jerusalem. It's destroyed. It's in shambles. And so they give, the vast majority of them are giving their effort and their energy to rebuild uh, the wall around Jerusalem, ultimately to, to work on rebuilding the city. Because they're giving all their effort, all their energy to the rebuilding of the wall and of the city, they're not tending to their fields. Okay, so these fields that normally would produce crops and uh, produce for them to eat, right? they don't have that because they've given their effort and energy to, to rebuilding. Right? And uh, because they had neglected their fields, well, then the, the kind of follow the next problem in line is their families don't have enough food to eat, right? They're hungry. It's an agrarian society, right? You don't go down to the grocery store and buy your food like you grow your own food, but they've neglected their fields. They don't have food, okay? The problem though, so, so not only have they neglected their fields and because of that, they don't have food to eat, but on top of that, like they don't have a lot of money to get the food that they need. Okay, or they don't have a lot of resources to barter and get the food that they need. Okay? So their, their fields have been neglected. They don't have food for their families. They don't have the resources to acquire food for their families. And so to do that, they've mortgaged out their fields. Okay? You see this just chain effect here, right? They've mortgaged out their fields so that they could get the resources that they need to provide for their families. But then we've got another problem on top of that is that there was a tax, right? The Persian king, who's kind of ruling everything at this point, still requires a tax. Uh, and, and they taxed not just like money like we pay taxes today, but they would tax like their produce and their harvest. Okay, so the king's tax still remains. It's not been, uh, it, it's like they've still got to pay it. You got to pay your taxes. They had to pay their taxes, okay? The only problem is they don't have the food to pay their taxes with. 
right? Because their fields didn't produce what they normally produce. So you got these issue on top of issue on top of issue. And to compound all of that, there's a famine. So you've heard the saying, when it rains, it pours, right? Like everything's just snowballed here, right? A lot of happening, a lot of problems, okay? But the biggest problem, Out of everything that we've read up to this point, the biggest problem is not uncultivated fields that did not produce enough crop. The biggest problem is not the lack of financial resources to acquire the food that they would need to provide for their families. The biggest problem here is uh, is not that the king is still expecting taxes to be paid. I mean, that's, you know, we know how we all feel about taxes, but that's not the biggest problem here. And the biggest problem is not even that there's a famine in the land. The biggest problem that we've read up to this point, the biggest problem in this, the circumstances laid out before us here is that some in the community saw the misfortune of others as an opportunity to oppress them for their own gain. That's the biggest problem. The other problems contributed to that, but the, big, like the underlying problem is that some in the community, their fellow Jewish brothers, said, here's our opportunity to get ours. And they take advantage of their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters in the community. So the, so the biggest problem here okay, is not physical. The biggest problem here is not financial. Right? The biggest problem is not political. Right? The biggest problem here is spiritual. Because the, the biggest threat is the communi- people in the community, God's chosen community, sinning against taking advantage of one another. That's the biggest threat to the community at this point in the story. All right, so Nehemiah gets wind of that. Here's his response in verse 6. He says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. Make note of the officials. We'll come back to them again uh, later on. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and they could not find a word to say. All right, so like Nehemiah gets word that this is happening within the community here. And he is furious, right? Big mad. The kids still, I don't think kids still say that. That was, I just saw one of our students cringe in the back. So clearly that's not what kids say anymore. Guys, there's a reason I'm not in student ministry anymore. It's because I'm not cool enough to be in student ministry anymore. Okay? So now I hang out with all the uncool kids. You do the math. All right? But, but Nehemiah gets, like, word that this is going on, and he is outraged. Okay? Verse, I think it's verse 7. He, he says, I took counsel with myself. Which, in, if you look at the original language, that's basically Nehemiah saying, like, I had to get my stuff together before I just flipped on these people, right? He's like, I, I gotta, man, I gotta get myself in line. 
Right? I, like, I got to regain my composure before I rip these people a new one, is basically what he's saying. And so, like, I think it's worth pointing out at this point, consider what, what Nehemiah's faced. Like, if you were here last week, he's got foreign armies and nations that are threatening him, right? We're going to come against you. Uh, it started with ridicule and disapproval and sort of verbal assaults and accusations uh, to the point where they formed a plan to actually wage war against Nehemiah and the Jewish people. And like, I don't think his heart rate even elevated at that stuff. Right? If you were here last week, Nehemiah just prays. and He's like, God, you're going to have to do something. I ain't got time for this. And he just goes about his work. Okay? Those threats from the outside like just roll off his back. But this... His brothers taking advantage of one another, sinning against one another, extorting one another, like he's ready to blow a gasket, right? And the reason because, is because their, their behavior was just a blatant, right, a blatant rejection of the community standards that God had given his people uh, in, in the law, in the Old Testament, okay? So let me try to explain that a little bit. So the First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is called the Pentateuch, the Torah. It's what the, the Jewish people, like that was like their law, okay? And part of that, uh, the, the story, the first five books of the Bible, of our Bible, is like Genesis, is, the story is basically God creating a people for himself, and then he gives them the law, which tells them how they are to live in relationship to, to God, but also horizontally how they live in relationship to one another. And so Genesis, you've got uh, God creating this people for himself, right? Father Abraham, Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You know the rest of the story. And so like that's, that's the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, okay? So he creates them, and then Exodus, you know, they kind of get themselves in trouble, and God delivers them and saves them because they're his people, and he loves them, and he's chosen them to be an example in the world. And then you get to Exodus 20, like all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, it's just God telling and retelling the law through Moses to the people. Right? And the law was just, hey, here's how you relate to me, here's how you worship me, and here's how you relate to one another as a chosen community of my people. Right? There were standards. And if you're like, is that not familiar with you? This is, those are usually the points of the Bible where you give up in your annual reading plan. Right? Because let's be honest, it gets a little redundant. Okay? And some of the laws were like, I don't know what that means for me. I don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. What do I do with that? Okay? Um, that's a real verse in the Bible, if you've never read it, by the way. And so, but that law, was, it was their community standard. Right? The people knew how they were to interact with one another. And so let me read some of these to you. All right? This is Exodus 22, verse 25. All right? This is Moses telling them, here's how you exist in relationship with one another. It says, if you lend money to any of my people with you who, sorry, I can't read apparently. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. Right? Goes on and says this in the next book, Leviticus 25, verse, starting in verse 35. This is how they're to live in relationship with one another. Right? Moses wrote to them, he said, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but, and this is important, 
Fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food at profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Sounds like a fun time. Then he shall go out from you and he and his children with him and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall, here's our phrase again, fear your God. That was a lot, I know. I got one more. Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 19 and 20. Moses wrote this. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of. So God has laid out his standards for this community of people, how they were to live and interact with one another. Right? And what we see here is that they're called to live in humility, patience, understanding, generosity with one another. Right? And yet instead, some of them had taken this opportunity, right, where we got the famine, we got the taxes, we got the building of the wall, the neglecting of the field. Some of them had taken this opportunity and seized it for their own personal gain, right, for their own benefit, for their own good. So they're like all the things that we just read that God's like, hey, don't do these things. They were doing them all. They're charging interest, right? They're oppressing the poor. They are uh, taking their, their fellow kinsmen, countrymen as, as slaves, Right? Everything that God said, hey, if you're going to exist as my people, don't do these things. They did all of them. All of them. Right? Because what they did is, is in this moment, effectively what they're doing is they're looking not at the standard that God's given them. They're looking at, at what the, the nations around them, how they live and how they exist. And they're like, hey, that seems like a good idea. Let's do that. And that's the story of the people of God throughout the Old Testament, right? God gives them a standard. Like, this is not new for them. God gives them a standard, and he says, live this way. And they're like, mm, but we like the way they're doing it better. Let's do it like that, right? And that's the story over and over and over. They, they effectively choose to, to follow the example of the world around them rather than the, the law that God had given them. Now, it's easy for us looking back on this to be like, ugh, those, those idiots. And yet I would submit to you that like, we haven't made a lot of progress over the last 2,500 years. All right, just looking around at how everybody else is doing things and like, then we look at the way that God has designed us to function together as a church, but we're like, mm, we like the way they're doing it better. Let's do it that way. Right? It, it's this rejection of what God has has done for us how he's called us to live together as a community of people. All right, but let's be, jump back into the story. Verse 9. So Nehemiah calls out the people, right? He's like, what you're doing is not right. Then in verse 9, he says, So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. 
ought you not to walk in, here's our phrase that we referenced earlier, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. In other words, let us live as the community that God has called us to in the ways that he's called us to. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And then Nehemiah says he called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Right, so here's what's happening here. Nehemiah calls them to repentance. Says, brothers, this is not right. This is not the way that God has called us to live as a community. And he calls them to turn from that, to turn from their exacting of interest and their oppression of their brothers and, and all these things that were contrary to the law that God had given them. He says, brothers, we cannot do these things. Calls them to repentance. And to their credit, they, they repent. Then the text says, they say, amen, we agree, we're wrong. And they're to return all that they had taken from their, their brothers. And so before we, before we go on anymore, here's, let me connect some dots here. All right, because it's, it's easy to kind of think like, well, that's a different world, Old Testament. We don't live by those same standards. We're 2,500 years down the road. Things are different, okay? Let me, let me point out a couple of things. All right, the first thing is this. To be a Christian is to be part of a community, specifically the community of God's people, okay? The story we're reading, Old Testament, nation of Israel, specifically a group that had returned from exile to the city of Jerusalem. That was the community of God's people. But in in our day, the the day and age in which we live, the church is the community of God's people. That's that's us. So if you're here, you're a Christian, you've been trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, you are a part of a community. Here's how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2.19. He says, So then... And in context, he's talking about because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So context, because context is important. Paul wrote this letter to uh, a, a church which was made up of Jews and Gentiles that had both like responded, believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Like they trusted in Jesus. And those groups of people prior, like, were kind of hostile towards one another. Like, they didn't see eye to eye on really much of anything. Okay, Jewish people thought Gentile were the worst, right? Gentiles are just kind of, had nothing to do with Jews. Like, they didn't jive, okay? But what happens is Paul says, because of your mutual faith in Jesus Christ, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer opposed to each other. You're actually part of the same community, right? You're fellow citizens of God's kingdom. You are fellow members of God's family. You are part of a community together. And, and, 
And if you're a Christian, this is still true for you. Right? It doesn't, you look around this room, like what you see is fellow citizens of, of God's kingdom, just like you. Fellow members of God's family, just like you. Right? You may not have a lot of different things in common, but you've got the most important thing in common. Right? Your citizenship is God's kingdom. You've been adopted into God's family. So to be a Christian is to be part of a community. But here's, here's the second thing. Where community exists, sin resides. Because you think about what community is. It's a group of people living in close proximity with one another. Okay? Specifically, a group of sinners living in close proximity and in personal relationships with one another. Okay? So, so when people live together in close proximity, close relationships with one another, community exists. But you know what else exists when people, sinners, live in close proximity with one another? Sin. Right? Sin. You should, if, you, if you have a family that you live with, you know this, right? You just get on each other's nerves, ever? Don't. Some of you are like, I'm not going to say anything. I ain't doing it. Nope. Not me, I'm not falling into that trap. Okay? Right? And so, like, let's just let's just talk about that in the, the life of the church. Okay, if we're doing church and biblical community right, we're gonna be like around each other quite a bit. And when you get sinners around each other quite a bit, you're gonna sin against each other. You just are. Right? So here's what we see. the church is not a clean, sterile environment. At least it won't be on this side of eternity. Okay, it's, it's messy and it's grimy and we're going to like frustrate each other. Right? I, I've, I've said this before, like if you expect this to be a perfect place where everything goes awesome and you're never like offended, like you, you're just going to be so disappointed here. <laughs> just being real with you. Okay? Like you hang around here long enough like, we are going to let you down. Right, we're going to. Some of you are like, he's not lying. Right, you've been here long enough to know. Right, you, you hang around here long enough. Like We're going to let you down at some point. Somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. Uh, somebody's going to say something that offends you. There's a good chance it's going to be me because I talk a lot and I have a microphone strapped to my face. Right? Like Someone's going to uh, do something that you don't agree with and you're going to get upset about it. Like It's just going to happen. It is. Okay, and so the question we've got to wrestle with is if that's a reality. If we're, if, we're, if we're Christians gather, there's community, and if we're Christians gather, there's also uh, sin against one another. The question we've got to wrestle with is, is how do we live in community with one another, this thing that we're called to, this thing that we, we are, how do we live in community with one another in a way that, that sort of combats our tendency to sin against one another, right? And I, I think Nehemiah gives us a pretty good example reading the remainder of the chapter. Uh, we're we're going to dig into these verses a little more next week, but I just want to hit some highlights. I'm going to read it and then just give you a real quick summary. Look at verse 14. So Nehemiah's talking here. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah... From the 20th year 
to the 32nd year, 12 years of Artaxerxes, the king. Oh, he says that here later on. Sorry, that's redundant. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of, here's a phrase, the fear of the Lord. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, this is crazy to me, there were at my table 150 men. My first thought is that's a huge table, okay? Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. And now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every day, or every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. And he says, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. To summarize what just happened in those verses, right, the, the example that Nehemiah leaves this community, but, but also an example for us, is that an example of, of selfless humility and sacrifice for the good of the community. Right? It, to kind of explain what was going on there, as the governor, like he would have been given a, a food allowance right, from the king. And this is a little conjecture, I'll admit that, right? conjecture. Where do you think that food allowance came from? From the taxes on the people. It was oppressive to them. And Nehemiah says, no, I see that that's a burden for these people. I see that they can't do that. And so rather than, than like placing the burden on them, he says, like, no, I didn't take it. I don't want it. Right? Sacrifice. Humility. It was rightfully his, but he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Right? And then on, on top of that, not only does he, does he not take what's allotted to him, rightfully allotted to him, but he goes even further, and it says that he gathers 150 people at his table and at his own expense prepares a meal for them daily. Like, I don't know, like, how much, like, I don't know what Nehemiah's bankroll is. I know how hard it is to feed six people right now, every day. Right, with the price of groceries the way they are. Like, so Nehemiah's got some, he's got it. At his own expense, every day, daily, for 12 years, 150 people around his table, at his own expense, come, eat. Right, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Right, and, and here's his motivation. I pointed out, but I want you to see it again. His motivation for that kind of humility and sacrifice, verse 15, because of the fear of the Lord. Nehemiah understood that as the community of God's people, there was a standard placed on him, a standard that he would be held accountable to. And rather than take what was, was rightfully his because of the, uh, the laws at that time, rather than heap burdens on the people, he said, no, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. How God is, I'm going to live as God has called us to live as a community and in humility and sacrifice, 
Right? He invites his people to his table, and he doesn't, he doesn't throw more burden on them. Right? He, he knew he would be held accountable to what God said. And the same is true for us. Right? We've established that, that we are a community of, of God's people. And we're not bound to the Old Testament law as it is written here. Right? We live in the, on the other side of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. So we're not bound to the law because Jesus came and he didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law. Right? But we're still held to a standard. Right? You read the pages of the New Testament. You look at the letters to the churches. They are full, full of one another statements. Right? There's over 50 different times in the New Testament uh, where, where Paul or one of the authors says, this is how you live with one another. Right? This is how you one another one another is basically what it says. And here's, I'm not going to read them all, but here's some examples. Love one another. Honor one another. Build up one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. I love these next two because they're just like honest and real. Be patient with one another. Bear with one another. Right? Like, like just tolerate each other, please. Okay? Encourage one another. Pray for one another. I mean, we could go on. Again, there's over 50 of them. Like, these commands, these are our, like, community standards as a church, and they are not optional. This is the standard that God has called us to. This is what we'll be held accountable to. And so to take some of those, I would just ask, like, how are we, how are we doing at those things? Right? How are we doing? And I think to make it practical, we, we got to make it personal, right? So let me read some of these to you. Right? Are you. Are you loving other people here? Like, are you here for what you can give, or are you just here for what you can get out of it? Now, don't get me wrong. I hope you get something out of being here. I'm just saying that's not the only reason you should be here. Right? Are you striving to honor other people here? Or are you here to make yourself look pretty good? Right? Are you building up others here? Or are you tearing down others with accusations and with slander? Right? Are you serving others here? Right? Considering the, the interest and the needs of others above your own? Or right, are you kind of ex- just sort of silently expecting everyone else to sort of cater to your personal desires and needs? Right? Are you quick to forgive others here? Or are you holding on to grudges holding on to bitterness that because of something that was said to you or something that was done to you or some decision you didn't agree with? Or, right? Are you quick to forgive? Right? Are, you, are you patient with others here? Or do you jump at the opportunity to criticize? Right? Are you bearing with sort of a holy toleration of other people here? Right? Are, you, are you bearing with one another? Or are you actively looking for uh, the next opportunity to be offended by something new? Right? Are you encouraging others here? Right? Are you encouraging others here? Or are you primarily concerned with just trying to find faults 
are you praying for the other men and women in this room? Are you praying for one another here? Are you talking to God about the other people in this room? Or are you talking to other people about the people in this room? Right? And here's what I know. None of us are batting a thousand. Right? Like none of us are crushing this. And I just read like, what, 10 of these? I mean, there's 50 different ones we could read through in the New Testament. None of us are batting a thousand. Right? We've all failed to live up to these community standards that God has placed on us. And so when we recognize that and we like come face to face with that, our response should be the same as the, the Jewish uh, brothers in this passage. What was their response? Nehemiah called them to repentance and what do they do? They said, you're right, we're wrong. And they, they responded with repentance, turning from their sin and returning to the standard that God had placed on them. Right? And so I, like we, we are called to live in community with one another the way that God has called us to. Right? Not, not to look at the way everybody else treats each other, but the way that God calls us to treat and interact with one another. Right? And when we fail, we acknowledge our sin and our guilt. Right? We repent. Right? We ask for forgiveness where necessary. Definitely to God. Maybe that means to somebody else in the room. Right? And then we rest in the grace that has been made available to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. All right, and what I want to I want to show you something real quick. I think this is a beautiful picture of this kind of grace. Right? If you look, if you look at kind of this recounting of Nehemiah and the people at his table, if, if you go back, uh, I think it's in verse seven, I believe. When Nehemiah got word that some of these Jewish brothers were taking advantage of their brothers, right? He says, um, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And then you jump down to verse 17. And this is what he says. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials. Now, again, there's some conjecture here. But is it not reasonable to think that some of the officials that were sinning against their brothers, Nehemiah went to them and said, hey, I'm having a, I'm having a party later. I want you there. Grace. Right? Lavished on them. Right? This is a powerful picture of the good news of the gospel, right? That, that unworthy people, people who had sinned against God, who'd sinned against one another, are invited to take part in, in Nehemiah's celebration. Like, that's the good news of the gospel for me and you. Unworthy, like sinful people invited into what, what Revelation would call the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, we're invited to the table. Not because of anything that we've done. Not because of any merits of our own. Right? No, we're invited uh, to come to the table, and it's at a great cost to the one who invites us. Like, we don't earn our spot at the table. 
Jesus lived, died, resurrected to earn our spot for us at the table. So that when we trust in him, we believe on his name, we repent of our sins, we trust in him, he invites us, right, fellow citizens, fellow family members, to, to circle around the table. Right? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. You've got uh, the, the juice and the bread here at the corners of the stage. Like This is what we're doing. We're being reminded of what Jesus invites us into at a great expense and cost to himself. Right? And so if you're here this morning, and you are, a, uh, you are a Christian, here's what I would say. Come. Right? Come. This is for you. Right? Now, I would say before you receive these, the, the bread that represents Jesus' body broken for you, the blood that represents Jesus' blood shed for you, I would say we need to do a little soul searching based on our text this morning. Right? The, the Bible would also tell us like whenever we uh, come to worship, we come to the altar, like we should... If there's something against a brother, like we should go and make that right before we come and participate. And so this morning, the text has really been about like how we interact with one another as a community. And so if there's something that needs to be like sorted out in this community, then may we first repent, ask for forgiveness where we need it. But then rest assured that like because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, like forgiveness and grace are yours. And so come and receive the bread and the juice. And then I would say if you're here and you're not a Christian, right? One, I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm like, like you could be anywhere on Sunday morning and you chose to come here. And I don't think it's by an accident that you're here, right? And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you're just like, I don't even fully know what that means. I would love to have a conversation with you either down front here in just a minute we can have a conversation after church. Any number of us in this room would love to tell you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all right? But we're going to sort of close our service this morning as we are going to, uh, the band's going to come. They're going to sing a, uh, a song just about how Jesus is the one who, who paid the cost to invite us to the table, right? You take a moment. Uh, whenever you're ready, come, receive the bread, receive the juice, uh, take those back to your seat, and then I'll come back up here in just a minute, and we will receive those together as uh, a community and, and the family that we are. All right? So I'm going to pray for us, and then you respond as, as the Lord leads us. Okay? Let's pray. Father, um, just come first and foremost this morning and want to thank you for Jesus uh, thank you for the cross. Thank you for his body broken for us, for his blood shed for us. Lord, thank you for welcome, welcoming us into your kingdom, for, for adopting us into your family, not based on any of our good merits, but because you are good, kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father. I thank you for this, this specific community of people, uh, those that, that gather here regularly each week. Um, Father, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for, um, Lord, just the, the, the encouragement and the support and the love that, that I've received, and I trust they've received it and, and given it, extended it to one another. So thank you for this community of people here. 
And Father, I pray that just as we've heard this morning, I pray that you would forgive us where we have failed to keep uh, your community standards. Um, Father, none of us are nailing this perfectly. We won't on this side of eternity. We want to strive to grow uh, and, and live more faithfully and more consistently and, um, Lord, to, to obey, um, Lord, more fully. But, Father, we haven't done that. We confess that. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, where we have sinned against one another or have failed to live as you have called us to, I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that in this moment before we receive and um, celebrate uh, the Lord's table, the supper, I, I pray that you would bring to our minds conviction, Lord, where we failed to live up to this, and that you would move us, Lord, to, to confess certainly to you, maybe to somebody else in this room. Help us to confess our sin, Lord, that, that we may be healed, we may be restored. And we thank you for the grace and mercy that you give to us uh, through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would restore us into right relationship with you and into right relationship with one another. So Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.